Well, happy Easter, church family. My name is David, and wherever you're joining us today at home, whether you're wearing PJs or your Easter best, we're glad that you've joined us today. We're here today because as Christians, we set apart this Sunday as a regular reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a reminder of hope and victory and a celebration of life and joy. My sense is that many of us could use this reminder and this celebration. Personally, I, I never imagined that 12 months later we'd be navigating a second Holy Week during the pandemic. But let me encourage you, let me encourage you to persevere as there are so many encouraging signs that this is coming to an end and we'll be able to gather more fully in person soon. Well, I'm excited to spend just a few moments with you in the Bible, but let's pray first. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would please give us hearts and eyes to see Jesus so that we might believe and be in the presence of the resurrected Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you like to read or watch either uh, scary books or scary movies? Or let me ask you this. How many of you like to try to scare other people? Now, I'll admit as a kid, I really enjoyed doing this. Just a few stories. When I was a kid, I think most of you know that uh, my dad was a pastor, and if you've been in the church, you know most pastors preach behind uh, fairly large pulpits, and my dad had one of those. And uh, what you may not know is it's fairly open on the backside. And so once when I was a little kid, I climbed in there before the service. <laughs> And then when my dad went to preach, I grabbed his leg. And I was successful in scaring him, but that didn't go so well uh, for me. Another time, um, I spent a lot of time at the church being the son of a pastor. Um, and you could tell I was probably a little bored um, sometimes. But uh, during one of our midweek services, I made sure I was the first to leave the service and I went out and I got in one of my mom's friend's cars. I hid in the back seat because in a small town, you don't lock your car doors. So I went out there and I hid in the second row. And then when she got in, I jumped up and screamed and she screamed and uh, that didn't go well for me <laughs> either. I still hadn't learned my lesson. So I did it again with uh, one of my friends. Um, his parents thought we were hanging out at my house, but we'd left his his bedroom window open, and we recruited my little brothers to put on ski masks and to come in and to try to scare them. Now, I don't know how scared they would have been of a bunch of little guys four feet tall with ski masks on, but fortunately, my dad overheard our plans, and he called the dad of my friend to let, us know, to let him know that we were coming. And let's just say he scared us more than we scared him, and that put an end to me trying to scare people. Well, there are silly, superficial ways that we like to scare and, and be scared. And then there are substantive, significant ways that we are scared, frightened, and afraid every day. And in this story, we see several people, including the guards and the women, who were afraid. But we see that these two women, that their fear is actually transformed into great joy. You know, it's worth saying that 
Fear is our body's threat detection system. It's actually designed by God. It tells us that we need something, so we need to know what we fear so that we know what we need. And let me ask you this. How many of us would like to have our fear transformed today? If you just think back over this last year, many of us have been scared of getting COVID. Many of us have had the fear of dying. Many of us have been scared of giving COVID to someone else and having to tell others to quarantine. Perhaps in these economic times, we've been scared of losing a job and fearful of being able to find another. Perhaps this last year has been really hard at home and you're scared of a spouse leaving. You're afraid that someone will not love you. Perhaps you're scared of a friend betraying you and the fear of people not liking you. Perhaps you're scared of being persecuted because of your skin color and there's a fear of suffering unjustly. Let me ask you, what's the thing that keeps you up at night right now? What is it that occupies your thoughts and your headspace? Take a moment to actually be specific and think of that. And maybe if you're at home and you've got a friend or a family member there, go ahead and say, what is it that you fear right now? And if you don't feel comfortable or have someone there to share this with, think of it in your mind. What is that specific thing right now that you fear? What is it? Because we don't want to ignore it because fear is data. And it's our body telling us something to pay attention and that there's something that Jesus needs to do with it. We all have unique fears. And honestly, we all collectively face one terrible fact. It's death. Some of you are saying, well, happy Easter. We're off to a real cheery start here, aren't we? But if we're not honest about our desperate circumstances, including the reality that death's shadow falls on everything and everyone we love, then we will not rightly see the hope of Easter. So let's consider how Easter transformed the fear of these women in this story and how Jesus can do the same for us. Let's enjoy our way through this story. First, let's look at verses one through four and consider the fearful women. Well, in verse one, Matthew tells us where we're at in the story. It's early morning. It's the beginning of a new week. And we're here with two women named Mary, and they're on the way to a tomb. And in another gospel account, Mark tells us a few more details about this story. He lets us know that the night before, at the end of the Sabbath, they had wandered the streets of Jerusalem, going to a market to buy some spices so that they could prepare the body the next morning according to the rituals of the day. Mark also tells us that on their way to the tomb, on that short trek to the tomb, they wandered around. Hey, when we get there, who's going to move the stone for us that's in front of the tomb. How are we gonna get in to prepare the body? Now, at this time in history and in this region of the world, there was a large circular stone and that was set in a groove in front of the burial place. And you can imagine it was incredibly heavy to move. 
And so they were worried about, they were concerned about how they would do that. And I'm sure in addition to chatting about those logistics on the way to the tomb, you can imagine that they were talking about their great loss, that they were feeling pain deeply in their souls as that helplessness and grief when they were faced with the reality that their beloved Jesus was no longer with them. And many of us, if not all of us, have had that experience, journeying to the gravesite to see the burial place of a loved one. And we're drawn to, to, to visit there. We're, we're drawn to go because it's the heart's natural, and I would say it's the heart's good response that cries out that we were made for another world. We were not created to say goodbyes like this. The story goes on. As the women arrived, they were no longer concerned about moving the stone because when they got there, the stone was already moved and there was an angel sitting on top of the stone. And we're told that the angel appeared as bright as lightning, wearing clothes white as snow. One of my family's favorite devotional books is the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I love kids. I love how it's described in this devotional. It says, And something else, a shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said. But they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. <laughs> and the angel asked them, What are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. It's a great devotional book. And if you don't have this, we'd love to get this to you so that you can talk with your kids about Jesus. And honestly, this has helped me understand the Bible as well. So reach out to us and, and we'd love to give this as a gift to you. You know, I love imagining this scene. It just makes me smile. The women show up, and there's the angel perched atop the stone. <laughs> and he's just probably grinning from ear to ear, thinking, you thought that was it? You thought when Jesus says, it is finished, you thought that Jesus was finished? That's not the case. Death is finished, and everything is going to be different. You just wait and see, this was the moment that all the angels had been waiting for. And I love this little detail that so many commentators have pointed out. So many of us think that the angel came to roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out, but Jesus didn't need him to roll the stone away for him to get out. He rolled the stone away so that we could get in, so that the women, so that the Marys and others could see that Jesus was not there. He wasn't dead. And as the angel is sitting there grinning like a Cheshire cat on the stone, he then speaks to their fear. Look down at verses 5 through 10. In verses 5 and 6, the angel said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Past tense, he is not here. Present tense, for he has risen, past tense, as he said, past tense, 
come and see the place where he lay. In other words, you can keep your spices in the bag because Jesus, he's alive. And then in verse 7, the angel tells the women, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he will meet you in Galilee, and there you will see him. And then look at verse 8. These are the words that stood out to me. It says, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Notice that they are still full of fear. The resurrection has happened, but their fear hasn't vanished. What's up with that? Well, perhaps they were afraid of the authorities, perhaps something else. But regardless, it tells us something about fear, that we will still have it after the resurrection, but we will just learn to carry it differently, that we'll still have fear, but we'll carry it differently because Jesus is alive. In other words, we can say, I may be scared in this moment, but I know, God, that you are with me and that you are working all things out for your glory and for my good. So they still had fear, but they also had what? They had great joy. Something is new. What's that about? Well, it's obvious they were full of joy because they had just seen an angel, right? And they had hope that Jesus was alive. And as Christians, we simultaneously have both fear and joy because not all of our questions are answered yet because we aren't in the new heavens and the new earth, but yet the reality of the resurrection and the certainty of what awaits brings hopeful joy to those who are full of fear in a uh, a world still full of physical death. But because Christ has risen, Christians still grieve, but they grieve as those who have hope. Now back to our story. The women are now, they're obeying what the angel tells them to do, so they're leaving the tomb. And can't you just imagine that different conversation as they're leaving the tomb? Can you believe that? We just saw an angel. And man, that was bright, wasn't it? And check out those white clothes. And do you really think that Jesus is alive? Well, now that you mention it, I do remember him saying that several times that on the third day he would rise again from the dead. Maybe we should go back to the angel and ask him again. Let's let's just be sure. Let's just check one more time in the tomb. And as they're having this conversation, it didn't get too far because in verse 9, boom, Jesus shows up, he intercepts them, and he meets with them. And verse 9 just makes me smile. Because can't you imagine what we would have said or what we would have done in that moment? I know what I would have done, but, but Jesus just simply says, greetings, good morning, or rejoice. There's no theatrics no grand theological statement, no scolding them for their fear or 
forgetfulness of his words, but just, hi. Do you see the compassion and the gentleness of Jesus in that moment? And if Jesus' response was low-key, their response was the opposite because they fell down before him and they took hold of his nail-scarred feet and they worshiped him. And this is important because his body wasn't just missing from the tomb. He wasn't just a hallucination, but he was alive physically in flesh and bones and he could be touched and grasped. Friends, today, don't be content to have a historical knowledge of the existence of Jesus, but come to a place where you have an actual experience of his presence. That as we've sung today, there's a reason we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Praise the King, he is risen. They fall down and they worship him because he is alive. And then Jesus speaks to them in verse 10. And listen to what he says. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And notice two things in this verse. First, what did Jesus call his disciples? This just makes me smile again. What did he call his disciples? He calls the disciples his brothers. And in Mark's account, he says, you go tell my brothers and specifically Peter. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, hey, you go and tell those cowards. You go and tell those deserters. You go and tell those failures. You go and tell that denier Peter to meet me in Galilee, and not just in Galilee, but you meet me in the parking lot in Galilee. You tell them to get their stuff together, and I've got some things to say to them about their lack of faith and courage. That's what we would expect, right? If we betrayed a friend or we were betrayed by a friend. But family, friends, and guests, That's grace. The disciples not getting what they deserved, but they were welcomed by their brother into the family of God. And there's no one like Jesus, and there's nowhere else to find grace like this. Jesus calls us his family. So if you've failed him, if you've denied him, if you've deserted him, Today's a great day to hear Jesus welcome you into his family. But second, notice in this verse that the angel told them to do what? To come and see, right? To come and see, investigate. And then the angel told them to go and tell. And now Jesus repeats that commission. Go and tell. Come and see and then go and tell. And friends, that's my prayer that you would leave this service not thinking, well, that was nice. I really liked this tie today. But that in this moment, you would come and see and experience Jesus. That you would meet 
with him, and then you would go and tell others about him. That's my prayer for us today. You may have met Christians before. You may have been to even a church building. But the question is, have you met your Savior? Have you met Jesus? Have you experienced grace? Because when we meet the resurrected Jesus and listen to his voice, we will carry our fear differently and we can have great joy. Let me take just a minute and share a brief thought, a little bonus thought for our skeptics. Now, we didn't read this section, but look down at verses 11 through 15. Let me read that very quickly. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city. These were the the guards that were, you know, watching over the tomb. So they went into the city and they told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spreading among the Jews to this day. Now, let's imagine again what that conversation was like, okay? So the guards, they go to the chief priests and they go to the elders And can't you just imagine that conversation? Hey, guys, um, how's the tomb guarding going? And they're like, well, mm, I don't want to tell him. You tell him. Okay. So Ricky the Roman, it's a common name of Hebrews during that. No, I'm just kidding. But Ricky the Roman says, well, there's a problem. You see, the, the stone was rolled away and the body of Jesus is not there anymore. Wait, they ask, who? Who moved the stone? And the guards sheepishly answered, well, an angel. (laughs) Can you repeat that again? Yeah, so there was an earthquake and an angel. The stone is gone. And now word is spreading that Jesus is risen. So what's their response? Well, they bribed the guards with money to say that if you're asked, tell people that the disciples came and stole him away while you were sleeping. Now, let's continue using our imagination. Imagine Ricky the Roman now is out in Jerusalem, and he's hanging out with his pals, with his buddies, and one of them says, hey, everybody's talking about what happened at that tomb. What went down that night? And the guard thinks, he's like, oh, yeah, well, we were all sleeping, and the disciples came in and stole his body. Maybe some friends accept that answer, but then maybe another one says, hey, 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 wait a minute. That doesn't quite add up. You mean to tell me that these 11 disciples who were so scared and terrified at his crucifixion that they ran away from him, that somehow they mustered up the courage? And then all 11 of you were in such a deep sleep that these disciples stole past you, moved this heavy stone, dragged out the body of Jesus, and none of you guys woke up? (laughs) And Ricky the Roman says, yeah, that's what happened. And then another one of his friends says, wait, wait a minute. If you were sleeping, how do you know it was the disciples who stole the body? And then Ricky, the Roman's like, well, I believe I need to get going. I got to go pick up the new horse that I bought. And then his friends say, new horse? Hey, we know what guards make. Where'd you get the money to buy that horse? He's like, I'll be leaving now. That's just one example of an alternate explanation to the empty tomb of Jesus. 
And it's not hard to imagine that there's lots of stories and explanations about the empty tomb. But friends, I would submit to you that none are as credible as Jesus actually rising again from the dead. You have to be honest, right? To believe that the guards were asleep and to know that the disciples stole the body, that requires some level of faith commitment. And I just want to encourage you to investigate the evidence further, like these women did. Come and see. We'd love to walk through that journey with you. And I want to encourage all of us to take just a few moments to consider who Jesus is and what the resurrection means for us. Specifically, what does the resurrection mean for our fear? Do you remember that fear that you named at the beginning of this sermon or that fear that you shared with family or friends? What was it? And what would it look like for Jesus to speak to that fear in this moment? Some of our fears need the compassion of Jesus. Some of our fears need the reassurance of Jesus. Some need the confrontation of Jesus, but all of us need a new story of what is most true today. We need Jesus to transform our fear. Well, recently, I was visiting with Hugh Welchel, one of our elders who was diagnosed with ALS in 2020, just a horrible, terrible disease where your mind works perfectly, but your body wastes away. Hughes, the executive director and founder of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. And one morning, he uh, stopped breathing. He shares this story on a podcast interview where he recounts this last year of being diagnosed. And then one morning, a few months later, when he stopped breathing, where he required CPR, and then the emergency responders were able to arrive and bring him back to life by the grace of God. Well, in this podcast interview, he says this. He says, and I often wonder in my condition, I'll never be able to do the things I used to be able to do. My speaking engagements are over, but I can still write. So I assume that's what I'm supposed to do. But I can tell you without a doubt, I know God has brought me back for a purpose. But indeed, the reality is that we are all here for a purpose. We're here to work. We're here to bring blessing to the communities that God has called us to serve. And that blessing flows from us. It's him working through us to bless the people that we come into contact with. And we have to really grab onto that reality. And then listen to this next line. You don't have to die to be brought back to life like Lazarus and like Hugh Welchel to understand that great reality. It's something that we all need to grasp. Did you catch that? You don't have to die to be brought back to life like Lazarus and Hugh Welchel. Friends, if you have turned from your sin and if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have already died and you've already been brought back to life. It has happened to you and to me, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there is soul-restoring grace for every person in every circumstance, including our fear. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we celebrate this opportunity to remember the resurrection of your son and our brother Jesus. Thank you for impressing the resurrection on our hearts. And we pray for all of us here that we too can smile today because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That because he lives, we can face tomorrow. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.